everybody, Ted King here. Welcome to King of the Ride podcast, episode number 120. That's a nice round number. Gosh, it's been it's been fun uh, recording these podcasts. So whether you're a new listener or a long time since 2017, thank you for being here. It has been fun for me and hopefully fun for you. This is a fun job. It's fun and unique and different to connect with folks with whom the thread of the bicycle is woven into their lives. Our guest today, Tanner Putt, certainly has lived that. Uh, fairly recently, he was given the title of Director of Road at USA Cycling, which, as you're going to hear about today, is a very esteemed, very diverse, very exciting position to be in. Now, honestly, anyone who rides a bike probably has something of an interesting story and would be a worthy guest on the show. Tanner already was worthy. With the majority of his life spent in cycling, as I've known him as a bike racer, a very successful one in the U23 and domestic scene especially, I've known him as a neighbor way down the road as he lived a few years here in Vermont. But it was when I was reading a recent Outside Magazine article about Americans racing the Tour de France. And in particular, the atypical pathway that seemingly every American has to make in order to travel from the United States to that start line at the Tour. That I knew I had to talk to Tanner. He's quoted in the article about, oh, trying to carve out that pathway, make it a little bit more streamlined, uh, make it, quite frankly, make sense. Because it's, it's circuitous, it's nebulous, and it's all quite fascinating, just like this conversation. So stay tuned, because it's a good one. Two things I want to wrap up with real quick, both under the arch of 2024, is shaping up to be a really interesting one for me. I won't yet divulge the details, but it's all about hitting a reset button for me, for my health. In particular, to scratch a competitive itch that I have let fester, one that I haven't really scratched for a few years now. So, maximizing fitness and performance are key in the coming year, and it starts right now. First up, Whoop. Whoop, as you probably know, is a fitness tracker. They are, in fact, not all created equally. And Whoop is head and shoulders above the competition in this booming field. I've been using for Whoop for maybe four years now, five years maybe. And I've been impressed how well Whoop does at tracking the micro in terms of daily sleep and stress and recovery. I like to look at the specifics of what alcohol or a lack of sleep because of my kids or, or a big travel day does on those metrics. But then especially the micro in terms of the trends over the weeks, months, and years that I've been using it. Given what I have coming up, I'm thrilled to be working with Whoop, and I want to extend a free 30-day trial to you. It involves getting your Whoop strap for free to see if it is your cup of tea as well. Just visit join.whoop.com slash TED and see what the fuss is all about. Again, join.whoop.com slash TED. Next, you've heard me talk about AG1 now for a long time. That is because it has become a mandatory part of my routine at this point. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed I had more energy. Literally noticeable. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. It's made my life better, and I want yours to be made better too. So visit drinkag1.com slash tedking 
to get a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, drinkag1.com slash Ted King, and you will see what I'm talking about. That's it. That's all, folks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Next up, Tanner Putt. Tanner Putt, first off, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ted. Um, where where do I have the privilege of speaking with you today? So I am in uh, Colorado Springs. We just, uh, my wife and I moved out here, well, kind of took all summer to move out here, but we finally moved in in about, yeah, September, left Vermont in February. So it took a little while to actually find a place to move in. We were just staying with family for a while, but... Yeah, finally in Colorado Springs. Nice. Cool. Welcome from across the country. Welcome uh, to your home. <laughs> um, what if what if we do a little bit of reverse chronology? Um, so, like you said, you recently moved from Vermont. You were here for, what, a handful of years? Is that right? Yeah, about three years. Yep. Um, which was the first place you landed after retiring from professional road racing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So I stopped racing in, let's see, end of 2018. Yep. And then, uh, was yeah. Based in Boulder during my, my career. And then, yeah, after about six months of being in Boulder, uh, my wife and I were ready for a change and she went to school at UVM and I'd never been to Vermont, uh, and just sounded great. I was like, Oh, awesome. Mountain biking, skiing, gravel, yeah. uh, sounds like a good place. So yeah, we just packed up and, and moved out there. Very cool. Um, and then tell me about your walk me through your your road racing career, highs, lows, everything in between. And then at this point, you know, begin to extrapolate. Like you're welcome to talk about how'd you get into cycling, what what was uh, how early you got into it, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I got into cycling through cross-country skiing i grew up in utah uh i was a ski racer there and started out mountain bike racing uh when i was really really young like 10 years old uh i think the the point where i really kind of got the interest in road racing was they used to have the norba uh mountain bike races in park city and i remember watching uh it was actually lance armstrong it was one of his first races back from cancer and so we were out there watching that and um, he was, I think like dead last. And we just, you know, at the time we thought it was, you know, such a cool story. And, uh, you know, I think it was a year or two later, we saw him, you know, in the Tour de France and that, you know, kind of watching it from the the elite level at the Tour de France, just kind of sparked this interest in, in road bike racing. And that was kind of my transition from mountain bike to, to road bike, but it was always kind of this like dry land training for, for cross country skiing. It sounds kind of funny. Cause I was like 12 at the time, but I was, uh, you know, from a young age, always wanted to be a professional athlete. And so, I would call it, yeah, dry land training. That's what I did in the, the summertime is I'd, I'd mountain bike, I'd road bike. And, um, it was 2005 or 2006 junior nationals came to park city and, uh, for road. And so that was kind of my first like introduction into like an actual road race, especially with juniors. You tell we didn't, you know, back then didn't really have juniors racing. It was kind of me and maybe two others. Uh, so that was kind of my first introduction into road racing. Uh, and then from there, it just, you know, ignited a fire. And that was, uh, that was 
you know, my main thing that I did, I still ski raced through high school. Um, but I think my senior year, that was kind of the year that I decided, you know, I want to, I want to pursue bike racing. That's the path that I want to take. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to get, uh, you know, on the national team when I was 18, go over to Europe, get my teeth kicked in a bit. And then, <laughs> uh, honestly it didn't go well. And I, 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 I thought that was kind of the peak that I was going to get to at the time. And, um, got lucky, got a, you know, another three over there with the national team. And, uh, yeah, it, it went a lot better. Um, from there, I, uh, started racing with the BMC development team or Hincapi BMC development team is what it was known back then. And, uh, yeah, from there, spent a lot of, a lot of time over in Europe racing with the under 23s, uh, between, you know, BMC, uh, national team. And then the last two years of the under 23 career, uh, with the Livestrong or bond tracker team had a couple different, different names while I was on it. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, I think my favorite part of my cycling career was kind of coming up through that development pathway. And then, uh, yeah, out of my U 23s, I signed with United healthcare, which used to be a professional team in the States. Um, I raced with, with them for, I think it was about, it was five years, uh, with United healthcare. And then, uh, yeah, unfortunately I had a couple, uh, back-to-back concussions in 2018. And that was kind of the, you know, the point where I decided I, I think I should move on and, and do something else, uh, you know, from, from bike racing. I always wanted to stay in the sport, but at that point I kind of realized, you know, that, um, I had gotten as far as I could get and it was time to, you know, move on before I, I kept, kept hurting myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny how that can work. We think of, of cycling as a low impact sport, but the reality is crashes hurt and hurt badly and they can quickly become chronic. Uh, not least of which when it's a TBI, which is something that's just in a league of its own. Um, I think maybe unique to cycling is that when we talk about generations, we talk, uh, especially, well, I think of it in, in my experience as a road cyclist, we talk about it within about a two year age window, because those are the people that we, we are racing with. There are direct, uh, contemporaries, there are teammates when we're racing in that, that junior U23 program. Um, and those are the races that you're going to do national team races with Lavenier world championships, so on and so forth. Um, I don't, well, yeah, well, let's see. You're born in 92. I was about to say we're of a similar generation, but to my point, you know, many generations removed. Um, my generation includes the likes of uh, Brent Bookwalter, Timmy Duggan, Tyler Farrar, Stephen Coza. Who were the folks that you were racing with? Who are your direct contemporaries in that generation? Yeah, so it's, it's actually kind of funny because, like I mentioned, I was at uh, when they had Junior Nationals in 2005 in Park City. Um, Lawson Craddock, he's my age. He's 92. Yeah. He won every single, every single event. And that was like the first time I'd, you know, ever heard of Lawson and ever raced with him. And um, like that, that Nationals was the first Nationals I ever did. And I went to every single Junior Nationals after that yeah. through my under 23 years. And, um, yeah, he was, I would say he, he was the, the, that main guy from, you know, 1992 that I came up racing with. I raced with him on, uh, Livestrong. I 
race with him on the national team. Um, but he was definitely kind of one of the the big names that came from that, that age group. Uh, Robin Carpenter was another one. Yep. Uh, Robin, we were never on the same trade team together. Uh, we both had been on Hincapi at different points in our career, uh, but we'd raced together on the national team. So he was another one. Uh, and then like kind of speaking in that two year group, we also had, uh, Nate Brown, uh, who went on, I think he had the polka dot Jersey in the tour for a couple, yeah, yeah. couple stages. Can't remember what year that was, but Nate was a a big player in that. And then uh, Gavin Mannion, who is also uh, the junior director for uh, USA Cycling, um, we were teammates. National team, Livestrong, uh, and United Healthcare. So he was another another one, and and a, a good friend too. That you know we've stayed friends for. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've known him since yeah, probably sixteen years old, and we we stayed good friends. So that's that's a part I kind of like about it too. You know, coming up from you know such a young age, you, the relationships and stuff that you you know kind of make from from cycling. So yeah, I'd say Lawson, Nate, Gavin. Um, I would say those would be the big bigger names from from the Americans. Uh, when it came to like Livestrong and stuff like that, we had like. Uh, Yes, for Stoyven, he was a sure. yeah. He's one he's my age, and you know we raced together. I think it was two years on that team uh, together, but had some great times with him. Uh, and then yeah, a couple other Antoine Duchesne, Canadian, mm-hmm. who raced. I think he went on to Europe Car, and then FDJ. He had a great career with those sure. those French teams. Um, but yeah, I, I still like to stay in contact with you know with all those guys. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, especially especially if you can get into it in juniors and you stay through that timeline. I, I did one year of the national team program. So, I mean, like Brent first roommate when I lived in Europe, uh, great dude, all those guys that I named are great guys. Uh, but then to, especially to your point, have it for a handful more years. That's, that's awesome. Um, which for me, the national team experience, uh, lived in Isigam in Belgium in this, to our to our untrained listener, it's it's this house that was run by a Belgian fella named Noel, uh, whose last name, unless you speak Flemish, you probably can't pronounce Dijonkier. Um He he ran a program for for the U twenty three and junior men primarily. I don't think there was a, a female presence there um, for a handful of years, and then I know that there's there's been presence in what Sitard. Uh, Netherlands. Mm-hmm. I know a bit. With any luck, you know a bit more. Can can you walk me through the timeline as best you know of what USA Cycling uh, the presence has looked like in Europe? Yeah. So I mean, I think my first trip over was in 2010, um, and that was kind of uh, Noel was still with the under 23s at that point. Uh, the junior director, I think, then was uh, Ben Sharp. Barney King would also come over and. And, and help with trips too, but it was kind of Ben Sharp and Noel kind of running those development programs over there. Uh, and that was still in Isigan when I was over there. Uh, and yeah, it, it, at that point, that was kind of the end of Noel. I think he was there just for a year when I was there. I never, unfortunately, never was able to work with him as an under 23. So I know there's some stories with him uh, that I didn't get to experience. Uh, but then, then they had a couple of years of quite a few changes in, in staffing over there. We had an Australian guy named Pat Yonker. Sure. Uh, that was there for I can't remember if it was a year or two years that he was there, um, but he was he was good with the program. And then uh, Marcello Albacini, uh, Michael Albacini's father, yeah, was the director for for two years over there as well. Um, 
And so, yeah, that, that was kind of the Isigan period. And then as soon as I think, I can't remember what year it was. We moved over to Sittard, Netherlands. I think it was my last year as an under 23, maybe second to last year. Um, that's when Mike Sayers came on board and he kind of took over the under 23 program at that time. And then there was uh, Billy Crane and Billy Ennis were taken on the the junior program over there. Um, but I mean, they, they've always had a big presence in, in Europe. Remember we would go over there, I think it was an under 23. I'd go over there. We do like three month long trips uh, where we just go and just get our heads kicked in racing yeah. Kermesses, racing in Belgium. You know, the, the climbers would be fortunate enough to go to, you know, like Southern France and Italy and stuff like that. But the, uh, nice weather. <laughs> the bigger guys, we just, yeah, get our heads kicked in by all the Belgians up North. Yep. Yep. Um, and then do you know, I don't know any place that precedes Isigam for, for USA cycling's presence. Um, I mean, this is almost like an ethereal question. There's such a foreignness to it, right? I mean, unless you are living it day in and day out for for weeks and months on end, to your point, you get your head, your teeth kicked in for three months at a time. It doesn't make any sense to pick up and go over there for for a few days or weeks. It's just it's a different sport in Europe. So it takes putting this foundation down that I think, I mean, this is the biggest reason that I have you on the podcast uh, and having a presence so that, so that we can have a greater, you know, have greater success with USA cycling. So the specific question was, do you know anything that precedes Sittard and, and Isigam? And, and then laying that out, what is the, what is the current future going forward? I should also interject that you are the national team road director at USA cycling so I think you have this like carte blanche blank slate of how do we, how do we create a better presence in Europe? Yeah. So I think, uh, kind of going off a little bit of what, what we used to do, um, having as many opportunities over in, in Europe as, as possible. We do have a really good setup now and considered it's, it's a coming from the Isigam house. It's a, it's a really nice place to to stay. Um, we've got a lot of great resources there that we didn't have in, in Belgium before, but, uh, it is, it is important, you know, being able to give these young athletes as, you know, much opportunity and racing and experience over there. Uh, you can, you know, try and teach them as much as possible or, you know, tell them what to expect, but that just comes with with time so i mean kind of the the future for for us is uh that new home is 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 Sittard, uh netherlands and you know trying to give as many opportunities to as many kids as possible over there uh one thing we have kind of changed is shortening down those 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 uh blocks of racing in in europe not days in europe but just blocks uh, I do think it's a little bit more beneficial, especially when, you know, a bulk of the season is in the spring, having slightly shorter blocks because a lot of these kids are either in college, they're in high school, um, and it's hard to be over there for for that long. And, uh, you know, after a certain point, you know, a month or so of being over there, sometimes it can kind of become a little bit unproductive. Uh, you know, when you're living in a team house, everybody starts getting sick and, um, you know form starts to go away, stuff like that. So we're trying to, uh, you know, shorten those trips up, make more trips, but shorten them up. But yeah, basing out of, out of Netherlands, it's a great spot. It's, it's real central to where a lot of the racing is. We're, you know, an hour 10 from, from Brussels. Um, and there's a ton of good Dutch racing. We're close to all the Kermesse. We're like, it's right on the border of Belgium. So we're real close to a lot of that Belgian Kermesse racing still. So it's a great, great spot. And what is the, 
What does the house look like? Not from like a color standpoint, but how many bedrooms is how many uh, mechanic work stalls, so on and so forth. How many people could it house at a time? So we have two houses. It's in this sports complex called Watersley, which houses a bunch of different, you know, sports programs and uh, different athletes. Not not only cycling, like there will be soccer teams, there will be, you know, uh, running teams, stuff like that. Wow. Uh, but we have two two of the buildings in this this complex. Each building, I think, fits. Uh, one one's like 13 people the other's like 14 people uh, and then there's options for short-term stays uh there's a hotel on 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 the campus as well that we can put more people in uh and then in terms of like service course and stuff like that we've got a a great building maybe 3k down the road uh which has a a, a big big upgrade from what what is again is it's a yeah big warehouse nice loft upstairs that sometimes that's where where i end up sleeping um but yeah, a great spot for the mechanics. All the vehicles fit there, um, so it's a it's a really big a big upgrade. I think you'd be pretty impressed from uh, knowing what Isigan was like. Yeah, and I thought that was impressive, having gone from zero to sixty, and you're going from you you know being based in North America to be like, wow, we have a presence over here. Um, how about staff? What does staff look like? I mean, are we hiring? Are we hiring out mechanics? Do we bring mechanics over from the states? Uh, are the kids still? still cooking for themselves or is there like any sort of chef? How does that work? Yeah. So it, it uh, staff, uh, I like to use uh, U.S. staff. Um, we have been, you know, supplementing staff with, with European staff and kind of networking and uh, you know, finding, finding good staff that is, is local and, you know, can speak the languages of the countries that we're going to. It's always, that's always helpful. Um, but it's kind of a mix, I'd say uh, American staff coming over and then, you know, having some, some local uh, help as well. Uh, so yeah, that, that makes it quite nice having the, the locals there. Um, and then when it comes to cooking and stuff like that over there, uh, we do have a chef that has been cooking with us. And then Watersley also offers an option for, uh, cooking dinners like buffet style, uh, which is, it's really good food. Uh, so we, it depends on the trip and what, uh, what kids are over there, but we do have a, a chef for when we've, we've got like a lot of people over there when it's smaller trips, typically we'll eat at the, the restaurant on campus. And that's just for, for dinner. Kids will be, you know, we'll do grocery shopping and kids will make breakfast, lunch, uh, snacks. Is it, I mean, I, I'm trying to picture what the place even looks like. It's, it's, it's an athletic complex. Does it feel like a university? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, kind of like think of it as like a yeah a college campus. Like yeah. there's just different different dorms and buildings, and there's like a, a gym and kind of like a yeah hotel and a main building and uh, some like there's like it's actually a bunch of like mountain bike trails, cyclocross trails right from the the place. There's a track. Um, they they even have not on the complex, but real close by Tom the Tom Dumoulin bike park. Uh, which they'll have like weekly uh, crit races. Um, they've got like cobblestone stone roads on it. Uh, basically just a place that you can go, you know, practice skills, do, you know, mock races, uh, stuff like that. And it's, yeah, maybe 2K from, from the campus. That's nuts um, and amazing. Yeah, I can't think of a single place in North America that you can go ride cobbles that are 200 years old. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, it's awesome. Does USA Cycling own the place or is it like a, a forever Airbnb or how does that work? Uh, so we own the service course and we're renting the, the two buildings that we have. 
Yeah. And then, like I said, we have like, you know, if we have a bunch of teams over there in more space, there's always opportunities for uh, short-term stays or hotel rooms. Gotcha. 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 Um, so do you see any particular path to success? I guess the question is, yeah, what is the path to success right now? Is it purely giving kids experience? Uh, is there a bigger, bigger puppeteer play at hand here? What, what have you been tasked with as the national team road director? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of my first task was just kind of getting these, these programs back up and running. There was maybe a two year period where we didn't really have national teams over in Europe. So just kind of getting that presence of, you know, USA cycling back in, in Europe, getting, you know, race invites again, uh, getting, you know, kids and teams over to, to Europe and just kind of getting that, that foundation set up so that we can actually, you know, function as a, a national team over in Europe and kind of have that, that presence. People know that, you know, USA cycling is over there. I think it's also important for, you know, young, young riders in the U S to know that, you know, USA cycling is sending teams over to Europe. Again, there's opportunities to, to race in Europe and, you know, try to make it to the, you know, professional ranks and get, get noticed over there. But there's a couple, I'd say, you know, my, I guess my next step is kind of, uh, expanding on what we've done this year, but also, uh, I'd say there's, there's kind of a couple different levels of it that I'm, I'm kind of focused on. There's, there's the, the grassroots level of it. There's the national team and, you know, more elite type racing. And then there is like the top professional, uh, you know, Olympics world championship ship level. I think all three are very important and focus needs to be put on all, all three. Um, I do think that the elite part of it is, is very important. Uh, like myself getting, you know, inspired by like, you know, going to that Norbert race and watching the Tour de France. That's how I kind of got inspired to get into bike racing. You got to have that, that, um, you know, that, that storyline or that, that top athlete that inspires, you know, the, that next generation to get into the sport. So focusing on the elites, uh, is, you know, that is a, a focus, um, you know, and I've, I've been kind of saying it for, you know, the last year, it kind of happened this year with, with set, but, you know, we just needed, you know, one rider to get into, you know, the yellow Jersey for, you know, a week or so at the Tour de France or win a grand tour to really kind of, you know, spark that, that fire for, you know, um, young kids to get interested and, you know, inspired to get into the sport and like, see that there is, you know, a future for, uh, bike racing. And so focusing on the elites, um, is important, you know, winning world championships, Olympic medals, to inspire that next generation. That's, that's definitely a, a, a big focus. Um, and then kind of the, the bottom part of it is kind of that grass level, you know, getting more kids into the sport, um, kind of helping, you know, all of the club teams and development teams throughout the country. Um, you know, one thing I've been working on this, this fall is, you know, working with some of the, you know, domestic teams trying to help them set up a calendar in Europe. Uh, you know, that's not just, you know, go over in the spring when the majority of the U S racing is, is in the spring, trying to spread that out, you know, uh, throughout the year. So there's, you know, plenty of race opportunities, whether it's in the U S whether it's, you know, in Europe. So kind of helping with those, those, uh, club teams and trade teams in, in the U S uh, cause at, at the end of the day, they're really doing the, the, you know, lion's work of the development there you know, they're getting these kids on, you know, teams that are able to take them to races that, you know, the national team will then, you know, we say we identify them, but, you know, they're taking them to these races and we're, uh, you know, seeing the potential in these riders. So they're doing, you know, the big work, uh, 
you know, getting these kids on bikes, you know, supporting them uh, to get to, you know, races so we can, you know, identify them at, at races. And then that, that middle part, I would say, is kind of this, you know, the national team development programs where, you know, we, we, we identify talent from, uh, you know, domestic racing, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, junior races or gravel racing, or maybe it's another discipline like cyclocross or mountain bike, and then bringing them over to Europe to, you know, introduce them to that style of racing, see if that, you know, they're interested in that, uh, and just giving them those opportunities and those experiences, uh, to try and help develop them. So it's really kind of, you know, identifying the talent from that grassroots level, uh, developing them over in Europe, and then supporting that top level, uh, world championships and Olympics, uh, to kind of pathway uh, reality that's it's exciting because it's what you've been tasked with is such a broad swath right it's like from juniors to u23 to development to world championships and everything in between that that's enormous um the timing is also really interesting right i mean we're we're experiencing a certainly a low point in domestic road racing, um, which you and I are products of, of road racing and it's sad to see, but I think everything is cyclical, no pun intended. So it it takes being down for it to come back in a strong way. Um, it takes somebody like SEP to put it on people's radars. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see what is going to happen in the coming years. I, if I'm not mistaken, a team like project echelon, uh, is is about to go take a big leap and spend a lot of time in Europe in the coming year, 2024. Um, is that the kind of thing that you're talking about in terms of plugging them in and, and making suggestions about where domestic teams go? Because, yeah, that is a puzzle. Like, if you've not experienced it, it must be surreal. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Uh, oh yeah, I think what Project Echelon, is, what they're doing, it's 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 fantastic, and we need you know it's like the human powered health men's team going away. We need yeah. we need teams like that that going over there. Uh, but really, kind of what I'm talking about when I'm trying to help some of these domestic teams uh, go over there uh, is a lot with you know junior uh, programs that are going over there. Like uh, you know Kelly Benefits is uh, trying to you know set up a, a program over over in Europe. You know working with Hot Tubes. Uh, and, and their programs and stuff, uh, so we can we can line up. So we don't have just this super concentrated block of racing where you know they're over there, national teams over there, and it's all in the spring and it's overlapping with you know Redlands or Gila or Joe Martin, um, and just kind of trying to spread that out uh, as well as you know women's teams uh, that are you know going over there. Roxo Racing will you know do a, a good block of international racing, working with you know twenty four, uh, you know their programs, helping them. Uh, you know, basically balancing our calendar and their calendars together. So it's not all this condensed block of racing where, uh, you know, there's only so many riders that we can take and they're also, you know, over there and racing and just trying to help them with uh, a program that will help that their athletes development. Yeah, that's, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, I'm excited to see it take place. So, you know, so much of the success starts with young riders. Uh, Belgium, especially, is is the prototypical example of it. But Europe in general, they just steep their youth in cycling. So it's it's no wonder that there's such an enormous 
demographic of, of people to choose from. Um, one thing that has spawned this this conversation was reading an outside magazine about Matteo Jorgensen, and, and in it, I want to say, the article said that something like 50 riders, there are 50 Italian riders racing the Giro d'Italia this year. And, you know, you could probably count on one hand how many Americans are racing the Giro d'Italia this year or the Tour de France this year. So that development takes place, it obviously has to take place at a very young age. And and there are pockets of of tremendous success here in America. You mentioned hot tubes. Uh, I know Lux has had great success. I'm not even certain if they're still around. Boulder Junior Development is a great example. What do you see that we in America are doing well and in what ways could we improve just to get a bigger group of kids on bikes? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, what we are doing well is we do have these, uh, these development programs that have been around for, for years. Like, you know, like you mentioned, BJC, uh, Pete Weber's done a, a fantastic job with that, uh, Boulder junior cycling team. And a lot of kids have come through that program and gone on to, you know, professional racing like Matty Monroe, um, people like Toby Stanton with hot tubes that, that, that program has been around probably longer than I've, I've been alive, I think. And it has <laughs> countless, you know, riders, uh, to Europe, uh, EF has a, a great junior program going now as well that Rusty Miller's, uh, running. And, uh, I think they'll have some really, really good talent coming in the, you know, the coming years. Uh, so I, I do think that we, we have some really great programs that are developing this, this talent in the U S uh, and giving opportunities, uh, racing to, was uh you know internationally um i think things that you know we can do better in the future i mean i'll always say more opportunities in europe but you know if if you want to really make it you got to be in europe and racing and kind of experience that 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 style of racing mm-hmm. so i'll always say more opportunities in in europe but i think also things that we can uh work better at and you can you can see it in the elites now is kind of that cross discipline uh athlete you know helping manage and uh showing that you can be a cyclocross rider and a road bike racer or a mountain biker and a cyclocross racer um you know a track rider and a, a road racer so kind of helping you know uh open up that door to, to athletes um you know making them not have to specialize in in one style of racing from from a young age kind of broaden their you know their options with different different types of racing and you know a lot of you know we'll have like this this next year in 2024 some stage race blocks early in the season that'll you know we'll take some mountain bike riders over for to help set them up for you know the world cup season uh things like that so i think that's that's one way we can we can also you know kind of improve in the future uh i think gravel racing is going to be a big uh door for us in the the future as well i think it's a great entry point for uh young riders to get into the sport mm-hmm. uh so I, I know there's there's been talks of uh a gravel another gravel series in the u.s and having like a junior categories and stuff like that so i think gravel is actually uh i think that's going to be a great entry point because it's 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 not as expensive you don't need to have a team to go to a race you don't you don't have to have all this different equipment you just need you know you not just it's it's still a bit but you need a gravel bike and you know to get to these races you can you you can sign up you don't have to get um 
you know, race invites and, and have all the, the support. So I think gravel racing is going to be uh, a great entry point into this elite, uh, you know, road racing uh, in, in, in the future. So mm-hmm. kind of, you know, looking at different ways to identify talent in the U S looking at different disciplines and look, looking at different entry points for athletes into the sport, you know, not just, you know, road racing, but gravel mountain cross, uh, track, things like that. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, it, I think it took, I refer to, to Sagan as the inspiration for the Vanderpoles, the Pidcocks, the Wouts to, to show that you can be exemplary in, in multiple disciplines. And, you know, Peter was world champion and I want to say cyclocross, then he took it to road and then his, his road talent was extraordinary. But yeah, he had to be siloed into a particular, he was a road racer. And now of course, at whatever age he is, he's trying to do mountain biking. It's really cool to see the diversity with like talent is talent and physiology is physiology. And when you're exemplary, you get to do those things. That would really be interesting. You know, I feel like America and, and, and USA, I don't mean to say USA cycling as an entity, but American cycling has always played second fiddle to Europe or third fiddle even. Um, so it would be really fascinating if, because we've been on the forefront of gravel, if that turns into this this deluge of 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 talent making it to Europe. Because... Yeah, I think a half dozen years ago, when when junior kids were telling me they wanted to be a pro gravel racer, I was I, it just wasn't a concept to me. It didn't make sense because at that point, gravel was, it was a place people like I went. It was the, like the retirement tour, and now it's really cool how much of it of of a magnet it has become. And you know, it's a fun to your point. It's a fun introduction to the sport with a lower barrier to entry than aero knee high socks. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I mean, yeah, like, uh, the, the feedback I got from like, like gravel worlds this year and like how, how invested people in the country were about, you know, like watching, you know, Lauren Stevens, uh, get top 10 at the world championship yeah. and, and Keegan Swenson, you know, racing against like, you know, Van Art and, and all those top world tour guys. I think it was, it was really exciting and kind of showed that, uh, you know, just another avenue into the, in the sport of cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 funny how quickly it's been latched on upon, it latched on to, you know. I think when people were first, when you talked to the, the top tier of American gravel racers, again, three, four, five years ago, and you talked about UCI gravel, there was just like poo-poo to it. It's like, no, that's lame. That's not us. We're hardcore. We're grassroots. And it's like, oh, man, it's coming. Like, this tide is coming, and, and it's foolish to, to put your nose up to it. Um, also kind of cool too because you see that that top you know elite side of it but there's still that it, I just think it has this great connection from grassroots to the elites uh, which would be cool to see a little bit more on the on the road side big time big time um, what I mean when I think of that poo-pooing there have been gravel racers who have uh, you know, snubbed USA cycling because maybe they've been snubbed. Um, I'm, I'm, the greater question here is I'm asking about the perspective of, of how you think people are perceiving USA cycling. Uh, so there's like, it, it'll run the gamut from sort of that of dislike among gravel racers or, or people who just look at it as a place of authority. Um, 
I imagine you like USA Cycling and me. I've only had good experiences at USA Cycling. I think there are great success stories there too. So, how do you how do you see USA Cycling? How do you see it being perceived? I guess. I mean, personally, USA Cycling has just played a huge part in my life. Uh, you know, giving me I, I got a race with them for you know six plus years uh, as a, as an athlete and. Um, with without them, I would not have had the career that I I would have had. Uh, none of the teams I was on, I was never on a junior team. Um, you know, none of those teams would have ever taken me over to Europe and and let me you know get get noticed uh, and and kind of make a career out of it. So USA Cycling has always um, yeah played a really big part in my life, and that's why I'm really so excited to come back and be in this role at USA cycling. It was actually, it's funny. I always wanted to be uh, a director after I was done racing. And I in particular always wanted to be the under 23 director at USA cycling, just because those were kind of the best years of, of cycling for me. It was, it was the most fun. Um, just, yeah, you're, you're young, you're 20 year old over in Europe and, you know, having a great time just, you know, racing with your buddies and you make these, you know, great, great relationships with, with people. So for me, USA cycling has always been perceived as, as, as great. Um, um, and I always wanted to kind of come back and get back uh, when I was done racing. I think there's always going to be, you know, people that see it uh, a little bit different or, you know, might see it as, you know, getting some from from opportunities. And I think that's that's always just going to, you know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be people that love it, people that, that don't like it, uh, you know, no matter what what decisions uh, you make. There's always, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so many spots for the Olympics, so many spots for the world championships, so many spots for national team trips. So, you know, I think a lot of people will always feel a little bit snubbed at, at, at some point. Uh, and it is a, it's a tough job, you know, making those, those selections and those, those calls. Uh, so yeah, I would say since I've, I've been around, I've gotten more good feedback than than negative feedback. And I think one of the important things that I'd like to try and bring into you know, my programs is just, uh, better communication, uh, you know, communication, whether it's with club teams, individual riders, coaches, athletes, parents, and just making everything that we do as transparent as possible. Cause I think that's been a bit of an issue, um, for, for, you know, riders or teams or coaches in the past is, uh, they don't quite have a clear understanding of maybe what we do or how to get involved with what we're doing, how you get on these, these programs, even, even at the elite level, you know, I, I know some riders, um, you know, they, they're confused or unsure of how you get selected for a world championships or an Olympics. And I know you're probably familiar with that process, but you know, uh, as athletes, you have to submit petitions for these protected events, which would be Olympic Games, World Championships, Pan Am Games, uh, Pan Am Championships. Um, and so just trying to get that information out to, you know, athletes and coaches and parents uh, and just being transparent about it so everybody has a better understanding. It's a lot harder said than done because there's, you know, we live in the United States and there's a bunch of people in the United States and a lot of people that are, you know, getting on bikes and, and racing. So um, trying to... Yeah, just be more clear and transparent with that that communication. Um, working closer with with teams, building those relationships with uh, with the athletes and the coaches and and every all the stakeholders, um, just to create a little bit more of a, a community uh, and a bit more of a holistic approach to everything that we do. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean it's it's 
funny because there's there's a lot that is cut and dry. It's like if there's a a world championship qualifying event, if you're a national champion, whatever it is, the, there's the automatic spots, and then it, there's just so much that inevitably has shades of gray. It's like okay, well there's there's ten people applying for three spots, and at some point it can't be objective. There's going to be a subjective choice. So yeah, it it it's a difficult thing, and it can start young because. To your point, there's a, there's a lot of people in America and there's a lot of young juniors with impassioned parents who want to get them on the national team. So, I, yeah, I empathize with the position that you and, and all people at, at USAC are in. Um, who, there are a lot of people at USA Cycling, right? I mean, I got to imagine there are, especially there in Colorado Springs, you got like a, the fundraising arm, you have the insurance arm, you have events, national championship people uh, membership people, how much cohesiveness is there among the organization or do you end up inevitably being siloed? Uh, I would say it's, it's, I wouldn't really say that we're, we're in our own silos. Uh, I mean, definitely different, different departments are operating, you know, slightly differently or, uh, on different timelines, but I would say, especially when it comes to, you know, the sports performance, we're definitely not in, in silos and we're, uh, I mean, constantly in communication and collaborating together and working on projects together. Um, I would, I mean, I would, I would honestly say I've, I've been at USA cycling now for, it'll be a year in January. And I, I really do enjoy working with everybody here when, when I do have a question or I need something from, you know, say, you know, memberships, um, or, you know, uh, you know, an, a, another department, uh, everybody's always willing to, to help and assist, uh, you know, everybody, everybody at USA cycling is working extremely, extremely hard. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of work, uh, to do, but I would say, um, nobody's really, you know, closed off or unwilling to, to help or collaborate and work on projects together. So, uh, I would say, especially, you know, the, the biggest change that I have seen is uh, I think Brendan Quirk coming in as CEO the last, you know, two years has made a huge, huge difference. Um, you know, he's, he's been very involved with, with everything from sports performance to, to memberships events. I saw him every event that I went to in the EUS last year, he was there, he was, you know, uh, you know, engaged with, with, you know, fans, uh, teams, you know, riders, everything like that. So I think, you know, what, what he's done in the last, I want to say year and a half since he's been here has been, you know, massive for, for USA cycling. And I am really excited to see that, you know, the next, you know, five, 10 years, what, what happens with, with the momentum that we, we have right now. That's huge. That's awesome. So yeah, somebody like Brendan, I know Creed has recently been brought into the mix and, and Gavin for the juniors, Chris and Arnold for women. Uh, how much you said, you know, there's cohesiveness and, and the performance among all those people. Were you making those hires or, or were they putting their hands up and, and they said, we want these positions? How, how did that hiring go for the. Yes. So I, I had made those hires. Uh, that was the first thing I did when I came on is I made those, those hires. I knew Gavin was leaving uh, the sport at the end of uh, 20, what was that? 2022. I'm forgetting what year it is. 2022. Yeah. Um, and he had expressed interest in, you know, getting into, you know, a directing role. Uh, and I, I've known him for so long. We came up through the development pathway to together. And so I, I knew he would be a great fit for uh, the juniors. Um, Kristen Arnold has been great as well. Uh, she put her hand up. I, 
uh, I was working with a domestic team in 2022 and I'd met her at a couple domestic races. I think it was Redlands was the first time I met her. Uh, and she had done a little bit of work with USA cycling before with the 1516 program, the, the ADP program. Yep. Uh, so I thought she was going to be a great fit as well. She worked out uh, great last year. We've got her coming back again in uh, 2024 for the junior women uh, program. So those, those two, yeah, they were uh, kind of put their hands up, but it was also kind of an easy, uh, you know, easy hire for me to make. Not easy, a good hire for me to make. Um, and then Creed, uh, I've known Creed for a while. I never was on the same team as him, but I remember, you know, at the end of his career, he was back racing domestically and I was kind of making my way into the the domestic scene. And um, I remember when he uh, took over the Smart Stop team and just how much, that smart stop team, uh, you know, improved in that, that time that he was with them. I mean, they, they had a couple national champions, mm-hmm. uh, Travis McCabe, Eric Marcotte, uh, Rob Britton kind of came from him as well too. Uh, so I knew how good he was, but 22 at Redlands, I was directing for a domestic team CS Velo there and I connected with him and I, I it was the first race I had ever directed and I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I thought kind of going into it, like, I've been to hundreds of bike races. I know, you know, I know what a director does, but then I showed up and I was kind of shell shock. I had no, no idea what I was doing. And he kind of was a, a mentor for me, uh, that, that first year. Uh, and I always really respected what he did with, with a Volo and, uh, the riders that he's, he's worked with. I think he's done a, a fantastic job. Uh, Riley Sheehan's a product of, uh, that Avolo program. He just won Perry tours, uh, this year. Um, but yeah, he was kind of a mentor for me and I always kind of looked up to, you know, him directing and what he's done. And I've never met somebody more passionate. I don't think about, uh, you know, road cycling development uh he absolutely loves it so uh that was another great and you know didn't have to think twice about you know getting him on for the the under 23s i think he's probably uh the most experienced you know director that that i've worked with yeah and what is that going to look like because he's still working with avolo is that correct or is he exclusively at usac no, so he still is running his Avolo team, and then we contract him out for all of the under-23 uh, races that we do. Got it. I mean, full circle to the conversation, when we were talking about generations the, in those two, three-year increments, he precedes me by a couple years. Um, and then I don't know, again, I don't know the history of the Isigam house, but the, the, the stories of lore about him and Pate in the Isigam house are just like that of legend. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's known cycling and he's lived cycling from forever. He was, he was Lawson Craddock, you know, he won everything as juniors and he had success getting to the, the postal program. And it's, it is really neat to have witnessed a lot of his career and, and see how much passion he puts into his job now. Yeah. He's just, he's a very passionate guy and, um, yeah, he's, he's the same. He, he came up through the juniors. He came up through USA cycling. He made it to the, you know, the top level. He's also raced, you know, pro continental continental. So he's really, uh, he's unique because he's, he's been at every single level. Yeah. Agreed. And I don't know if you know this, he used to have a podcast way before podcasts were cool. I did not, but I'm going to have to ask him about that. <laughs> yeah. His was great. He used to, it was it was sort of in the heyday of American racing and the tour of Colorado was going on tour of California and and he'd usually latch on to you midweek and be like, Hey, at the end of the week, 
let's hang out. And then he'd give you a couple whiskeys and then suddenly you suddenly realize that the record button has been going for a half hour and you're like, oh man, <laughs> this is fun. Um, yeah, I'm talking about that. How about what is what do you suppose your I mean you're you're working through it here you are in tail end of year one. What does your schedule look like in terms of logistics, travel, going to races, going to Europe? Yeah, so I mean this first year was pretty busy. Um I don't have a uh visa over in Europe and I blew through those 90 days uh this year. I think in total time on the road this year has probably gone close to 130 days. So a lot of, a lot of travel, um, logistic wise. Yeah. I'm, I'm handling all the, the logistics, travel logistics, race invites, all that stuff for, for the programs. The directors are definitely helping do a lot of that, that work, uh, with me. Um, but yeah, in terms of kind of what I'm, what I'm doing and, and schedules and stuff like that, it's pretty much full gas, uh, 12 months of the year. Uh, we start racing. I think this year we started racing mid-March next year. We've got some race invites starting at the end of February, uh, and then closing out world championships end of September, uh, next year. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of full gas all year. Um, yeah, like I said, we started in March this year, we ended in Pan Am games in uh, Chile uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's a, it's a long season, a lot of time on the road, uh, a lot of time at the computer too, but, uh, it's, it's a blast doing it. That's awesome. Did you, I, I'm guessing you were at Glasgow Were you at the, the mega worlds this year, super worlds. Yeah, we were. Yeah, I was there at this the Super Worlds. And what what's the cycle they're doing every four years? Yeah, so it'll be yeah, kind of like an Olympic cycle. They'll do it in quads. Cool. It's not, it looked cool from afar. It was. Is I thought it was really cool. Um, it was. It was cool to see how all of USA Cycling kind of came together. Like a lot of we'd had a lot of shared hotels uh, and shared resources, um, but like in the evening, uh, you know, you might be at, you know, the dinner table with, uh, BMX and we'd be watching, you know, the track races at night and everybody's, you know, cheering on USA cycling and, you know, trying to understand like, uh, you know, what, what's going on. What's this, this Madison race, like what's, how are they, who wins? How do you win this? How do do you win the Omnium? Um, so it was really kind of cool. Like all of USA cycling, all the different disciplines kind of coming together and cheering each other on, um, you know, like our, our road races, the final weekend we had, you know, different, you know, mountain bike or track riders that come out and watch and support. So, um, it was logistically, it was, it was a nightmare trying to figure out super worlds, but I, I'm actually really looking forward to the next one because it was it was different than any world championship that I ever raced where it was just road only. Sure. It was, you know, kind of uh you know, I never went to an Olympics, but kind of that that Olympic feel. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, as a testament to how young gravel is, I thought it was kind of funny that all of the UCI world championships are in the same time in the same place. Except for gravel, which had its own thing. But when well, there's such great gravel roads up in Glasgow. Oh too, my so. gosh. I imagine they're phenomenal. Um, are you still able to ride a bike? Uh, yes. I mean, I ride any chance that I get. I definitely, this is probably the, the least I've ever ridden a bike this year. Um, but I've been home now for a couple of weeks and I get out whenever, whenever I have that, that opportunity. Uh, mostly, gravel bikes and mountain bikes nowadays, but, sure. um, I, I will be a lifelong, long cyclist. I love it. And I'll, I'll, yeah, ride whenever I get the chance. Brilliant. Well, perfect. Cause that allows me to ask the final three questions, which you can still answer if 
you are not riding a bike, but it certainly makes it easier. Um, okay. What is your favorite place to ride a bike? What is the number one place you would like to go and ride your bike that you've never ridden? And with whom? Living or otherwise, fictitious, nonfiction, someone from a book, someone from a movie. With whom would you like to go for a bike ride? So, favorite place to ride? My favorite place to ride? Um, I would say mountain biking in Vermont is my favorite place to ride my bike. That is so a tremendous answer. That, that's that's an easy one. I Yeah, I loved my time living out there and mountain biking there. So, I'd say that's, that's an easy one. Um, place I would love to ride my bike, uh, I would say kind of just cause it's fresh in my head, just from being in, in Scotland this year, but the mountain biking there looks amazing. So I'd love to go up, uh, to the highlands and, and mountain bike up there. I think that would be, uh, a really cool place to, to ride my bike. Nice. Great. And answer. then somebody that I would like to ride bikes with, um, let me think about that. And you know what? I, I think this this person is living. I know him pretty well. Uh, we trail run together, but never gotten on bikes together. I think it'd be uh, Mike Creed. I've never ridden bikes with him before. Very cool. Great answer. Well, next time you're out for a trail run, be like, hey, Mike, we got to go for a bike ride just to fulfill <laughs> Ted's podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I wish you nothing but success. I hope you enjoy this, presumably a bit of an off season, which probably means more time behind a computer. But yeah, it's been it's been great picking your brain, and I appreciate all the insight. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on, Ted. Great to catch up. Yeah.